Hello, friends. Couple of announcements I'd like to make. First and foremost, ever since the podcast launched about a week ago, it's been so well received, and there's been so much positive response from friends and strangers alike. People are reaching out to me. They're telling me how much they enjoy listening to it. You know, stuff like that. Uh, and it's and it's kind of cool. And I just want to thank everyone for listening and for being a fan. I really appreciate it. Keep reaching out to me. Keep sending me your thoughts, your 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 or ways that you feel like this can be improved. I'm happy to hear, and I will try my best to respond.、Hmm. Uh, I'm hoping to do this as long as I can. So, if you enjoy what you hear,、uh, like, subscribe, rate, comment, share. Post this on your Facebook, Instagram, Instagram stories.、Uh, you know, tag me. I'll repost it and all that. Tell your friends. Tell your yogi friends. Your non-yogi friends. Let's try and get this out into the world. And another thing is that in the previous episode with Kathy,、uh, episode three, there was actually a long pause at the fourteen thirty-second minute mark part, which. Uh, a few of you have reached out to me and told me about this, and I kind of I kind of messed up、uh, with the audio. I didn't I didn't merge it together. I I guess I don't know. Yeah, I'll be more careful next time.、And、thanks for those who who reached out to me and thanks for letting me know. This is a learning process. I'm learning as well,、I'm、trying to make as little mistakes as I can. So thank you for、uh, telling me about that.、Uh, I can't do anything about it. I I don't want to. Re-upload the thing, so、uh, that was just gonna be a pause. It's just know that it's there, I guess.、Mm, oh, also, I've got my first official sponsor for the podcast. Ooh, no better, exciting times. So,、uh, today's episode is brought to you by the Fort PT. The Fort, like short for the fortress, is a fully equipped mobile gym. That provides customized personal training to clients according to their own individual needs and fitness goals. What does that mean, you ask? Well, I'll tell you what a mobile gym is. It is a gym that goes to you. So, I've worked out with them before. They know I'm a I'm a yogi. I'm I'm okay with flexibility and movement, but it's strength that I lack. So, that's like the training that that I do there is modified for strength. And sometimes, like they have like older clients, maybe they're like uh, uh, working on mobility or just building strength or losing weight or regardless of whatever your fitness goals are. Check them out on Instagram at the Fort PT. Just drop drop him a message on on IG. He's quite responsive over there. And if you mention that you're a listener of the podcast. Hashtag mostly yoga podcast. Your first session with them will be free. Ooh, helping each other out, making the world a better place. Links in the description thing below. Go check it out. Okay. My guest today is none other than the international hand balancing yogi, Mark Das. I met Mark early this year when he came by for one of the workshops at、uh, Priyan's place. Uh, he came for my class back when I was teaching there. We hung out after class, had coffee, had a chat, had a great time. He came back again for another handstand workshop.
so we caught up, managed to squeeze a pod session with him. So yeah, excited to share what he sh- share what we talked about with you guys. Mark shares with us a little bit about the philosophy of hand balancing, as well as what his life was like before the the handstand artist that he is today. In in this podcast, I, he does most of the talking. He does almost all the talking. I was just there listening in awe to his words of wisdom, just trying to try my best to just ask relevant questions, trying to keep the conversation going. But he had so much interesting things to say and and he reveals to us just how magical this art of arm balancing really is, you know. And also through talking with him and hearing his views, I realized that as much as he is a teacher, he's still very much a student in his own way. And it shows in his teaching methods because he really relates to the learner, you know, the the beginner in class. And I feel like that's such a great quality for a teacher to possess, being able to understand where the beginner is coming from and 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 the fears that they face and how to and how he breaks it down. You know, how he breaks down this intricate art of of inversions in such a simple and accessible way. Hmm. Oh, five minutes already. Oh, six minutes already. Okay. Without further ado, here's my good friend, Mark Das. Hello, Mark Das. What's up? Yeah, doing very well. I'm happy to be back in Singapore. Yeah. Thanks for agreeing to do this with me. It was fun the first time we hang out. We hung out. Mm-hmm. I knew that after before after I started this podcast that I wanted to have you on at some point. So I'm glad that you're back. I'm glad that you're back in Singapore doing what yeah. you do best. Yeah, it's good to be back. So we'll just dive right into it. Handstands. What's it about? What's the secret? Tell me now. We all want to know. How do we do it? I don't really <laughs> think there's so much a secret to handstands specifically. What I hear most of my students say is that they want to learn handstands because it's fun and it's challenging. Ooh. And then when I ask what their challenge is, it's usually they're afraid of losing balance towards their back and hurting themselves or they believe they're not strong enough. So this is the challenge of handstands that I hear most often. Now, the fun part of handstands, I feel, is it's quite a unique practice. It's a practice that is that is relatively simple, if you make it simple. And what I often feel is most of my students are making it way more complex than it actually is. Okay, okay. I so, sort of agree with this. In, in that sense, when you think about the secrets of handstands, I think the biggest, if you want to call it a secret, is stop making it as complex as you make it and, and simplify the thing. Because in the end, a handstand simply is the ability to kick up and, and hit the brakes. When you arrive in a handstand, the ability to have your center of mass or your weight supported on your base of support or your hands... And then if an imbalance occurs, how to correct the imbalance. And those three pillars make up a handstand. Man, if you break it down like that, it does make handstands very accessible. Because then at least like, yeah, okay, I have something to work towards too. It's not just not about building strength in the arms or shoulders. Mm-hmm. It's about you've immediately brought awareness to balance and center of gravity and all these things. With yeah, those absolutely. Three. Yeah. Okay. And what you see is each of these three elements include 
shoulder strength, uh, body awareness in, in how your pelvis, for example, moves. It includes facing your fear of kicking up or facing your fear falling of down. supporting yourself upside down. And, and you just say falling down. Mm. Now, what I encourage most of my students that are afraid or all of my students that are afraid, really, what I encourage them to do is, is stop using the word falling. Because if you know what to do when you're losing balance, you're not falling. You're simply Ooh. turning out and landing on your feet, just not in the direction that you initially wanted to land on your feet. Oh, that's a nice way to frame it. Already, it sounds very inviting, but we all know it's not that simple. It sounds simple on paper. It sounds simple in theory, the way mm-hmm. you broke it down. It does sound inviting, but really, how long does it take to master this? I don't think mastery is per se something that... People do with handstands. Like you should strive for in a sense where what is what is most important to strive for is is enjoying the practice mm. and enjoying the practice then eventually will lead to a sense of mastery because you stay committed to the practice because you're having fun if the only reason you're practicing handstand is because you want to be the best handstand practitioner in the world that's not really it's not a thing that's not a real thing is it well you have circus performers mm. and they compete with each other to get the best gigs and to get the best um, slots in, in circus shows. Yeah. So for for certain people that have chosen to become professional hand balancers in circus, they are required to compete against other hand balancers to, to get the best spots in, in uh, a variety of, of circus acts that run around the world. And one of them, for example, is Cirque du Soleil. Mm. Yeah, so there there is a sense where you can achieve mastery. However, if you look at circus performers, it's they they start at a very young age, and by the time they're eighteen years old, they have mastered almost all skills of the book, and they have had professional coaches that that have guided them through all the steps of what it takes to become a great hand balancer. Now, most of the people that I encounter, they're adults, and all of a sudden they decided that it would be fun as an adult to learn how to stand on your hands. So you go through a completely different learning curve than what a kid would have when you know they're starting to, to practice handstands at the age of five or six. And, and by the time they're 18, 12 years later, they would be considered a master of the art. Mm. Now, when, it, when you're an adult, you already have a background in different sport modalities and and therefore your body has shaped to for example marathon running or your body might have shaped to football or baseball or your body might have shaped to completely something else so certain parts of your body are 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 more open and flexible other parts of your body are are tighter um so everybody that is an adult that chooses to go into handstands has a body that is less mullable than the body of a child so in that sense, when it comes to handstands, you have to look at your goals. Like, what are your handstand goals? Like, what does it mean to achieve a level of mastery for you in your handstand? And when you decide on your goals or when you pick your goals and when you set your intention for your practice, then your practice is eventually defined by those goals. So for for you, a sense of mastery in handstands might simply be be able to use handstands consistently um, throughout yoga transitions, let's say. And 
When you can do that, when you can from downward facing dog, go up into a handstand and then lower down into a forward fold, and you can do that effortlessly, then you might feel, okay, I've achieved the level of mastery within this specific handstand skill that, that, that I wanted to achieve. So when you think about a handstand, a handstand is, 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 it has many different components. There's press the handstand, there's planching, there's a straight handstand. Then when you look at a straight handstand, there's many different ways to approach the straight handstand. Then you have backbending handstands, you have side bending handstands, you have contortion style handstands, you have all sorts of, of handstand strength skills. Then you have one arm handstands. There's so many different realms within the practice of handstanding that you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to say that you would be a master at handstands. Because what does that even mean? Wow. Um, let me think about that for a minute. That's a lot of heavy stuff to reflect on. I guess to me, as someone who, who can't do a handstand, handstand to me is just being able to hold my body up with my arms. Mm-hmm. But this level of explanation that you've just mentioned, there, there seems to be a philosophy behind this balance um and what and what the different types of handstands because to me it's just handstand as long as you're on your hands you're there Mm -hmm. right and if you're good at it you can hold it longer that's then you're 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 the best but then yeah there is the back bending there's the contortionist types and all these different trees of handstanding Mm -hmm. which all falls under movement i guess yeah it falls under hand balancing and hand balancing balancing in essence is is a circus art yeah yeah so most of my hand balancing teachers mm-hmm. well actually all of my handstand teachers have they some kind of background in, in well, yeah in acrobatics uh, well circus yes yeah, uh, circus specifically one is currently active as a circus performer the other owns a circus school in tel aviv mm. the third one um was working for la ref which is a, a circus show in las vegas and then the fourth one hasn't performed yet however He's based in, in in Hong Kong and 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 teaches circus style handstands. So all, all of my teachers are circus performers. Mm. And what I've done is, as a teacher, when when I started practicing yoga, actually, I was already able to do handstands. However, when I came across teachers that I thought would help me improve my handstand, I got a lot of contradictory information, and then I was for a while looking for a better option to to learn handstands or get even better at handstands so what i found was that there are people that specialize in hand balancing and perform on stage they basically wake up with handstands think about and do handstands all day go to bed think about handstands dream about handstands make money doing handstands teach handstands perform handstands it's all about handstands for some people um and these people are circus performers, hand balancers specifically. So I figured going to learn from from those that have made it there. Um, yeah, I got some commotion going on outside. Yeah, this, yeah. No, yeah no we're in the hotel room, eh? Hey, <laughs> in Singapore, and we're in a Chinese hotel room. They they woke me up last night. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, yeah, last night they, I think it was like four o'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. and and some of them came home. Uh, yes. relatively intoxicated i think and they were so loud i was like what's go- what's going on and it was very disorienting because yeah. this hotel room doesn't have any thing, windows right? oh yeah that's true uh, you so up, you don't know it was just are. a pitch black horn i woke up yeah. at four o'clock with people talking chinese and i was like 
what's going on? Yeah, Where trippy. am I? Yeah. Um, but to continue about the, um, uh, the handstand journey, in that sense, I decided to step away from learning handstands from yoga teachers specifically. Mm-hmm. And I started looking for it more in the realm of circus and then in the realm of acrobatics mm-hmm. and, and acro yoga, yeah. standing acrobatics. And then from there, I, I noticed my practice improve a lot. And that's when I decided to, um, as a yoga teacher, uh, make handstands my specialization. Mm. So currently what I do is I just simply teach handstands and, and that's literally, yeah, that's, that's my job. That's all I do. You started, um, you started, you, mm-hmm. your first journey to handstands was through, was through yoga. No, actually not. Um, when I was 21, I decided to take a flight to China mm-hmm. and, you know, sign myself up for, for a monastery because I thought, why not? And, and I was a, a monk for six months in a, Ch- in a Shaolin monastery in China where part of the curriculum was acrobatics and mm-hmm. part of the acrobatics was handstands. So I, I came in touch with handstands at the age of 21. Um, wait, wait, wait. You, uh, let's talk about the whole, the whole monastery thing and you mm-hmm. being a monk for a, a six months. Yeah, six months. Like the and whole, then I the went back. Nights, you had to shave your head. You had to wear the robes and everything. Well, I did shave my head. It wasn't like... So it's it's not in a sense a Buddhist monastery mm. where every morning you'd wake up, do your meditate, prayers, whatever, and meditate yeah. all day. It was a Shaolin. Um, so it's like a physical thing. Yeah, it was a Shaolin Kung Fu uh-huh. um, monastery slash school. Okay. And and basically what we did was in the morning we would wake up and meditate. Yes. Uh. Then we would have a a foundational um, conditioning class. Then we'd have breakfast, and and after breakfast we'd continue training. Then there was lunch, and then oh. after lunch we'd continue training. But it was mainly physical practices, and then in the evenings there were lectures on calligraphy, so the the Chinese mm. uh, art of drawing um, the the characters. Mm. The evenings were also filled with uh, Chinese language classes, and um, they were filled with um, uh, lectures on Buddhism. On Zen oh, Buddhism specifically, cool, yeah. so that's that's what I did for six months and um, very much enjoyed my time there. However, I was pretty stiff when I first showed up. Like I was, I was a pretty tight dude, and um, it was excruciating because I mm. went in in winter time and it would get up to minus twenty degrees Celsius at night, and there was not a lot of heating in the rooms. So minus twenty is no joke, man. No, well, it, it. I didn't fully know what I would get myself into. However, the experience itself was, in a sense, life changing. Yeah, I'm that, sure. That such an experience at yeah, that age. Yeah, I gave up drinking at the time, so mm. that's where I stopped drinking. That's also where I decided to change my my studies to move cities, like. There was a lot of processing going on on what I really wanted. Mm. Um, and as I had already been an entrepreneur for quite a while, I decided to um, uh, to pursue that more while at the same time studying communication sciences, having come from an electronical engineering background. And I, I don't really think that I've done much with my studies in a sense of a normal career, like a mm. nine-to-five job with a curriculum vitae and you send out you know job uh, application like i've i've never sent out a single job application in my life um 
I just always had my own little projects go on. And, and when I was 25 then, I decided to sell my business, my last business. No, I was 26, uh, about to turn 27. And, and the money that I made on, on the sale of the business, it wasn't a lot, but it was enough to pay for some teacher trainings, some immersions into yoga. And, and, and throughout the years after the Shaolin Monastery onwards, I did some gymnastics and some calisthenics and, and that all helped me improve my handstand practice so that by the time I had sold my business and started doing all sorts of teacher trainings, I got like gigs to assist my teachers in Bali. Mm. Uh, Dylan Werner is a very good friend of mine. So we we traveled together for, I think it was like two and a half months where mm. I was assisting his workshops. So, so all these opportunities just came. Like, yeah, and, and, and I saw in action what it would mean to live a life that I'm currently living and, and actively made the decision to spend the last two and a half, three years honing my skill as a handstand teacher specifically tailored to yoga practitioners. Um, and yeah, and currently I'm, I'm weaving the two back together where I'm, I'm combining my passion for online entrepreneurship and, and my passion for teaching handstands to yoga mm-hmm. practitioners and combining the two together in an online program Do for uh, for handstands. So yeah, what's what's going to launch on uh, July first? Fingers crossed. Hey. Uh, I'm pretty sure it will launch July first because the, the 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 process is is going pretty well. It's uh, it's a six month online program where for um, the first six uh, to eight weeks they're they're following like students that sign up they'll follow a. Um, a online course with personalized guidance through an online community and I'll be the one giving them feedback on their practice throughout that online course trajectory and then after the online course is finished they know what it means to have a handstand practice and how to continue their their practice and make sure that they uh, progress at mm-hmm. handstands as well and then for four more months after the course finishes I'll be there available to keep on giving feedback, answer questions and, and stay engaged with them in a way where I, I can be sure that I can support yeah. my students on their journey of handstands. Because even though it's not an easy journey, it's a relatively simple journey. That's true. Yeah, you just, you, just, you do very similar exercises over yeah. and over and over again. And the change, the, the improvement is very incremental. So it requires a lot of patience. However... I feel it also requires some sort of a, a hawk eye to 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 Ooh. see exactly what's what's what's, wrong what's, what's going yeah, wrong yeah, or yeah. not even wrong like what are just the the, the small fine subtle fine tuning yeah. uh, or big fine tuning sometimes that would significantly change someone's practice and like it could be push a little bit more out of the shoulders or change the way you look or you know straighten your legs it's mm. there, there's there's so many different things or or try to rush less you know there's so many people mm. that kick up to the to the wall and they're like you know the wall's lava and they right away try to get away from the wall as if you know the wall's too hot to touch but if you use the wall as a as as a tool which it is to slowly load yourself in a point of balance then you know, hence it's become a lot more accessible. So is the wall, is the wall a good way to train handstands with? Yeah, Some absolutely. Some people say that. I the, still use it. Yeah? Yeah. 
There's a different school of thought that says that if you start with the wall, then you always rely on the wall. And to have, like, instead, kick up without the wall and then learn to fall via the cartwheel way. And then just not rely on the wall. Yeah, so... um you just told me at the beginning of the podcast that don't say anything you don't want your mom to hear. Um, well, that would jeopardize your career. Uh-huh. So, well, no, you have to say I, it. I, I, I am going to say it. Yeah. yeah. It's basically teachers that, that genuinely think mm. that the wall is of no use whatsoever. I personally think are full of shit. Mm. It's like you want your handstand to be in a complete vertical line. Yeah. You want it to be in line with gravity. Mm. Now, the wall already is in line with gravity. Mm. So it's one of the best tools that you can use to give you a sense of feedback on whether or not you're straight, on what, where is gravity. Yeah, some people are so disoriented when they go on their hands first. You need to find a way to, to simplify the practice. And, and simplifying the practice, you know, it's very easy to be done with the wall. Mm. And, and people that are dead scared, that are just have this paralyzing fear of kicking up in the middle of the room, and they come across a teacher that says, oh, the wall is, is useless. You have to kick up in the middle of the room. Well, the people that are terribly afraid, they will leave the class and never come back. Mm. So you're already filtering out the people that are afraid from the people that are not afraid. So you end up only with students that are not afraid of kicking up in the middle of the room, which are usually the students that are already a bit better at their handstand practice. Mm. So it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy that when as a teacher you say, yeah, the wall is it's not useful, you can't use it, you need to kick up in the middle of the room, like 75% of the people already leave and, and never come back after their class because it was too terrifying for them. And yes, then you're left with students that are comfortable kicking up in the middle of the room. And they can spot each other and they can help each other. However, I'm pretty sure that people at the beginning of their practice, like what I hear most, and for the listeners that have a handstand practice, it will most likely resonate. What I hear most is, is when I ask at the beginning of a workshop or of an immersion or when I'm teaching at a teacher training or a retreat, I go, okay, so tell me a little bit more about your handstand practice so that I know what audience I have in front of me mm-hmm. uh, before I start teaching. And one of the most common things is, yeah, I can kick up and hold it for like one or two seconds. This is one of the most common things. I even heard it today while teaching at Priyan's uh, uh, studio. There were some people that said like, yeah, I can kick up and I can hold it for like one or two seconds. Um, and Michelle's back. Hello, Michelle. Hello. <laughs> so can like hold it for one or two seconds. And, um, and, and what they don't realize is they don't really hold it for one to two seconds. Because you're just using... They're just, just slowly falling for one to two seconds. Or they're slowly losing balance. But it goes so slow that it feels, or they make themselves believe they're in a point of balance. However, this is just kicking up and, 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 and doing a little quick prayer, hoping for the best. And it, it usually doesn't really work out into kicking up being able to hit the brake, mm. being able to keep your weight above your hands, and then on top of that, also correct any imbalances. Mm-hmm. So you, usually, usually it doesn't translate in that way. Yeah, usually it doesn't translate in that way. Do you use your core in a handstand? There's I, there's different schools of thought. Yeah, um, because I recently heard that like 
um, like say I have core strength, but I can't do handstand. And mm-hmm. then I have another friend who can do handstands, but has no core strength. Okay. I think everybody has a baseline yeah. of core strength because if you wouldn't have a core strength, you wouldn't be able to stand up straight. Right, that's true. Now, when it comes to um, handstands, yeah. your core is just as engaged mm-hmm. as it would be when you're standing on your feet because the body shape is not any different. You're just basically having your arms overhead. Right, so right. if you would stand on your feet with your arms overhead, however much engaged your core is in that moment, that's, that's how much yeah. your handstands Handstand will be engaged. uh, Your core will be engaged in handstands. Now, also, if you think about the idea of... um, like This is one of the most common uh, uh, points where people always talk about the core. It's when they say, yeah, oh, I can't press the handstand because my core is not strong enough. Well, your core is responsible for compression, yeah, of pulling your torso towards your legs. When you're pressing to handstand, you're doing the exact opposite movement. So how's your core gonna benefit from that? You know, or how's your core gonna I mean how's your core gonna help you press to a handstand? You need your back muscles, mm. yeah, your posterior chain from the top of your head, your cranial fascia, all the way to the feet, over the back of the body. That entire line and all the muscles that connect there are responsible for going from a forward fold to a straight standing position. So when you're in a handstand, you're in a straight standing position. You're just doing it upside down. Mm -hmm. So you go from a forward fold using the posterior chain to go to a handstand. The core itself doesn't have to be engaged. Even one of my my good friends who's a circus performer had his... One of his Instagram stories was, okay, guys, let me show you how engaged my core is. And he just had someone film it and someone was poking his belly and it was completely soft. Mm. So then the cue of... Engaging your core is redundant in a handstand. I think the cue of engage anything in a handstand is redundant. Because a handstand could be cued as engage A, B, C, or D. However, we don't use our body through engagement. When I I say to you, okay, walk to the fridge, I'm not saying, okay, you know, use your quads to lift your... I'm I'm not cueing you through all the muscle engagement required for you to walk to the fridge. I just say walk to the fridge. Mm. And and what we do in yoga a lot is engage your inner thigh, rotate inwards on, on, on that body, but let's say internal rotation of the arm. Um, there's there's so many um, like vague cueing that to, to us yoga teachers make sense. Like I, I know what someone means when they says, when they say like, you know, engage, you know, your, your inner yeah. thigh or, or rotate your your leg inwards or internally rotate mm-hmm. your arm or whatever it is that they um, are trying to convey in a message or engage your core is a very like common cue. What part of the core? We have a front core, a side core, we have transverse abdominis, we have, you know, we have obliques. We have obliques. Like there's, there's so much core. Like what do you mean with core? Mm-hmm. Core is kind of like this trash bin uh, term that, oh, you can't do something, oh, you didn't engage your core enough. Mm. Yeah, or, oh, I can't do this because I don't have any core strength. Well, it's, it's not all about the core. Um, and, and, and what I feel yoga teachers in general could benefit from is cueing movement more. Because movement leads to engagement. Engagement doesn't always lead to movement. Ooh. So if you would ask your students 
to do a certain movement and you know certain muscle groups engage, like if I would ask my student, lift your arm up overhead, I'm not going to name all the muscles that engage or need to engage for you to lift your arm up overhead. So why would I talk about all these engagement um, yeah. like cues when I'm having them hold a warrior two? Why can't I say, you know, reach your left arm forward, your right arm back? And there's yoga teachers that do this, but there's also yoga teachers that cue in ways that I'm like, what do you want me to engage? <laughs> like, I've been teaching for four years now and I've been practicing for eight. I have no clue where that muscle is located. And I'm not even sure if you're pronouncing it correctly. Wow. You see? So it's like you can make it more difficult than it actually is okay, as okay. a yoga teacher as well. Um, or you can make it a lot more accessible and, and simple. Um, and, and this choice is, is up to the yoga teacher itself, I feel. And how, would, how do we do that? How do we make handstands accessible to the everyday Joe? So... First and foremost, make sure that you have a good handstand practice yourself, like a proper handstand practice. If you can't hold a handstand in the middle of the room for a minute, then like, wh why are you teaching? Mm. You know, if, if, if it's like, if you're completely honest and humble about your practice as in, yeah, I can't do a handstand in the middle of the room yet. I can only do it for 30 seconds against the wall. But I know of a lot of people that are still afraid to kick up. So what I'm going to do is help them get better at kicking up. Like you can teach people what you know, up uh, to your level yeah. and, and, and you know that that your current level of practice is, is, is good enough to, to get them to a similar level. However, I feel that that you know, there's a thin line between those that, like, I feel, I feel the, the people that would make the best teachers are often the ones not teaching. And the people that make the worst teachers are usually the ones teaching. In a sense where, like, I know you had a podcast the other day um, with someone from Singapore who said, like, not everyone can be a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. That might be true, yet I feel that a lot of yoga teachers that are yoga teachers are not per se great yoga teachers. Mm. Yeah, whereas a lot of people with a lot of potential, they, they are just too afraid and, right, and, right. And, and, and they're like afraid to put themselves out there. But as soon as they would, they would feel so story, empowered yeah. and, and like... They, they'll blossom as mm. being great yoga teachers. Um, so, so I think there's a very thin line between someone having the desire to teach just for the sake of teaching mm -hmm. or the desire to teach because they're very passionate about their personal practice. And this is something, this is someone who I am. I didn't want to teach at first. I didn't even want to create this online program that I told you about earlier. I just Coming out on 1st June. Like, yeah, uh, July, actually. July, right. Um, so in the beginning, I just wanted to... I just wanted to practice handstands. And I loved it so much that my friends started asking me if I could teach them. So I started teaching my friends. And then you realize, like, yeah, this And then my thing. friends' friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, And I didn't even realize it could be a thing. I was just following what I loved doing. Right. And then from there... Um, one of my teachers, because acroyoga is, is, is oftentimes co-taught, oh, yeah. and, and the base, the male, 
he went to the United States. So the flyer, Bex, uh, teaching at the yoga barn in, in Bali, she didn't have him around as a base. So I was like, hey, Bex, I can you know assist the classes and, and I'll be the replacement base for the time being. So that's how I got into teaching. And then it was like, okay, Mark, I know you have a handstand practice. Do you want to share your handstand practice with the students that would show up at the yoga barn? So I slowly started getting into it, not from a push point of view, but from a pull point of view. And this is also how the online program started. It was basically just from questions that I got like, hey, Mark, do you have something online? Hey, Mark, can I, you know, do you have a YouTube channel or do you have an online course or like, do you do online coaching? Do you do online privates or video? I'm like, no, I don't have anything. Mm. And then for quite a while, I was thinking like, what can I create that is of value that actually helps someone change their practice for the better Mm. instead of me just pushing out content on the internet, which anyone can do, and then just, you know, sell it as if it's, you know, worth gold. Mm. But it's actually just, you know, shot in a Sunday afternoon and then and then put on the internet and yeah. there's just a great marketing strategy behind it. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, ooh, someone's having a... Yeah. Nice guy. Well, you you most likely understand what they're saying. No, no I don't think they're speaking Chinese. It's, it's no? Vietnamese, I think. Vietnamese. Yeah. Oh, I don't like, understand that either. Me neither. Oh well. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I speak a little bit of Chinese, but I that's mean, pretty much all that I can say. And that's a get by. Um, let's talk about proprioception mm-hmm. in the in, in the handstand perspective. Yeah. What is the awareness? What is the um? What are the habits to be able to gain that awareness upside down? What are the... Because it's a whole different world, right? The world we are now with our legs and our with our body upright and mm-hmm. the world upside down is two different places. How do we bring that together? Well, like, remember when I said earlier that, that some people just make it more complex? Mm. Well, you just did yourself. Yeah. It's, it's not that complex. Mm. You're on the same freaking planet. Whether you're standing on your feet or you're standing on your hands. And gravity still works the same. The walls are still in the same place. Like you you just turn your body upside down. So if you're standing on your feet and then let's say you go to a plank position, yeah, which is the first 90 degrees of getting into a handstand. Now, when you go to a plank position, the entire world doesn't all of a sudden change because you shifted your body from a, a, a vertical plane to a horizontal plane. Right then it's also not all of a sudden going to change when you go from a from from the plane that is that is horizontal in the mm. plank to an upside down vertical plane it's it's um it's i think the biggest reason why someone would say it's a whole different world is because they're afraid mm. yeah they're afraid of getting upside down they're afraid of hurting themselves they tell themselves they're not strong enough and and when when that entire handstand, like we, we're afraid of the things that we don't know, mm. yeah, the things that are unknown to us, yeah, the mysteries. That's what we fear, and especially if we then connect all sorts of negative consequences to these mysteries, mm. yeah, like I'm the kind of guy, even though I have no fear of handstands, I do not like walking. I live in Bali. I do not like walking 
through a dark alleyway with dogs barking. Or I don't like going into the jungle when it's dark because of the animal sounds. Like, they're the same animals as are in the jungle during the day. Right, right. However, the entire fact that it becomes night scares me. Okay. Yeah? However, when it comes to handstands, it's like, you know, night, let's say, you're on your hands. Day, Ooh, you're on your feet. That's interesting. So it, it, it really depends on, on what you are afraid of specifically. Now, one of the main things I, I tell my students is when you're afraid of handstands, what exactly are you afraid of? Because you're not afraid of handstands in a way where you see someone do a handstand and, and you <laughs> run into the other direction. It's like, oh, look, the person's doing a handstand. I'm so afraid right now. It's, right. Usually it's not the handstand itself. It's them doing a handstand and then something happens. So what is going to happen? And that's the story most people then tell themselves. Like at least those that are afraid. It's like, oh, I'm afraid. So when I'm going to kick up into a handstand, I'm going to like lose balance to my back and then I go to go to wheel pose and then my arms will give out and then I'll break my neck. And these are not uncommon stories that I hear in my workshops. And then... It's like, okay, so what's the danger? Which is kind of the, the fears, the irrational side. Fear is very much the side of the stories that we tell ourselves. Whereas danger is very calculable. It's like, what exactly can happen? And when you completely know what can happen, as in kicking up to a handset, losing balance, going into a wheel pose, and your arms giving out, and then you landing on your head. Yeah, it's a probability, but what's the likelihood that exactly that is going to happen now let's say that you're not so good at risk calculation and you say oh 80 percent yeah okay if you genuinely feel it's 80 percent then we need to find a way to build your confidence with the wall and now we're back at using the wall before you even try in the middle of the room full circle again yes so that's why when you told me that there's there's this this uh, this this group of teachers that say that using the wall for handstand is not useful and I replied that's bullshit it's a very useful tool mm. especially for people that are afraid especially for people that can't even kick up to a handstand yet so someone wants to learn a handstand yet they have no clue what the world feels like upside down they've never supported their entire body weight on just their hands mm. ever in their life well have them put their hands on the floor and step their feet on the wall. That's the first handstand they'll ever do. Right. Like, what are you going to do as a teacher? Hold on to their legs and, and lift them up into a handstand? Like, well, maybe if the person's very light, but some people are, you know, a bit heavier that right. want to learn handstands. And, and then you're just like putting them in all sorts of positions and they're afraid and then they need to trust you. But they might not and you know it's like when you when you when you it's it's basically this idea of do you give someone a fish or do you teach someone how to fish you know how to catch their own fish the same here it's like do you give someone a handstand just for a brief moment or do you teach someone the the tools that they need so that they can consistently progress at their practice in which you give them a sense of autonomy, a sense of feeling that they can do something on their own. You know, that when they, when they leave your class, 
And the next morning they wake up, they feel motivated to just put their hands down and step their feet on the wall, even if it's for 10 seconds before they have breakfast and go to work. Yeah, it's, it's especially those people that come to your class or workshop that are curious, whether it's handstands or yoga, or whatever, give them a sense of success. So what motivates people? People are motivated by feeling a sense of accomplishment, by feeling a sense of success. If you then, for example, in handstands, remove the entire wall, because no walls are really bad, then you're already removing many options in which someone can feel successful. And, and for example, you're, let's say, first ever yoga class you go to, you have no clue what's going on. You have no clue what all these Sanskrit, Sanskrit terminologies mean. You, you don't even know that, that, that oming in and oming out was a thing. You just have no clue. You just thought that you were going to go to a stretch class for an hour, an hour and a half. And you're there for the first time on your yoga mat. And for some reason, the teacher adjusts you in every single pose. The only thought that you will have is, I really suck at this. Mm. so usually when I was teaching yoga flow still and there was someone that said this is my first ever yoga class the only cueing that I did towards them as in assisting them or not um, was I would just walk over and I would just say good job unless it was completely unsafe then I would say hey this is unsafe you know try to do it this way and I would show them so that they could could mirror me yeah but if it wasn't unsafe, I would just walk up and I go, hey, good job. Because that gave them a higher likelihood to go back a second time and a third time. And at some point, they go, oh, this oming in makes sense. Everybody does it all the time. So I'm going to join in. Let me go on Google and see what this entire oming in means. Like, And this is how you slowly enroll someone into the practice of yoga. So whenever you're a teacher, and let's say you've completed your 200 our teacher training or you did a continuing education of 300 hours or whatever it is that you've done there's a difference between learning more about yoga and becoming a better teacher yeah so teaching itself is a science on its own yeah i agree so even though your practice might evolve your understanding of anatomy might evolve your understanding of biomechanics or creative sequencing or whatever it is might evolve that doesn't per se mean that you can translate all that information into a class and 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 teach your students in in the most constructive way possible yeah now i've always said that um your student only wants three things they want to feel connected to themselves And they want to feel a sense of accomplishment there and a sense that they can do something on their own without constantly needing your help. They want to feel connected to the people around them or their fellow students. And you see this a lot with boutique yoga studios. And as I mentioned earlier, I when I'm in Singapore, I always teach at Priyan Studio. And, and I really like it there because there's a big sense of community within the studio. Right. Yeah. So connecting with each other. And then the third thing that a student wants is they want to feel connected to you. If you're the kind of teacher that shows up right on time and right away starts the class and as soon as your class finishes, you leave, the student's not going to come back. Yeah. Well, they won't come back if there's a better 
option in that same time slot. But if it's the only available time slot they have and you're the only one teaching, yeah, they'll come back. But they won't come back for you. They just come back because they either feel connected to themselves or their fellow students. But these three levels of connection are important to the self, to others, and to you as a teacher, as the facilitator. Now, also when I was teaching, and, and still when I'm teaching, is there's only really three students in the room. Even if there's a hundred people standing in front of me, there's a beginner, an intermediate, and an advanced student. Now, I want to make sure to tailor to all three. I want to make sure that the beginner feels I have their back, so they feel supported, and they feel they're not alone, and they feel that their fear of handstand is not uncommon. They feel that they're part of the group, even though they were a little bit hesitant in signing up, because, oh, it's this handstand thing, and this guy comes from, you know abroad and then he comes to Singapore and then he shares the practice and oh this is kind of scary and I'm not sure if I'm ready for it I don't know if I'm good enough yet and like the, the stories that we all tell ourselves then the intermediate student is the student that you know already has a handstand practice they can kick up to a handstand and they they feel a sense of accomplishment but they know it's still a little bit sloppy and then the advanced student is like okay I just I just want to clean up my practice I even if I get only one tool that will help me in my practice, it's great. And then when you look, and this is what happens to me when I go to a yoga flow class, um, especially if the teacher knows that I teach internationally, the teacher never comes around to give me an assist because the teacher almost feels intimidated. Mm. So I'm there as, let's say, an advanced student, whatever that means, and... I see all the beginners being touched and, and assisted and adjusted. Whereas for the beginners that might go like, oh, I'm doing something wrong again, I'm doing something wrong again. And I'm almost craving touch because we're humans and, and you know, human beings Wanna crave be, yeah. physical touch um, and, and a sense of connection, especially when you're in an environment where it's safe, like a yoga class. Um, let's not open a whole can of worms there on... <laughs> on all the sexual harassment that has been going on in the yoga world because right. it's not always safe. Um, but yeah, as a, as a yoga teacher, you, you want to make sure that it's a safe environment. And then when you're a more advanced practitioner, and let's just say more advanced in yoga asana specifically, so your back bends are deep, your forward folds are deep, like all the poses that you go in, you find a lot of depth you will not be able to go much deeper on your own without the assist yeah. of, of a teacher. So basically someone helping you and, and assisting you deeper into the post. Now, like you just said adjustment, and I hear a lot of yoga teachers talking about adjustments. My teacher and good friend Dylan Werner shared something very, very valuable with me when it comes to adjustments. Adjustments are just forms of assisting someone when they're doing something unsafe yeah, or incorrect. So if you approach a student from the mindset of I'm going to adjust them, that means that there's something wrong with what they're doing right now. So this is oftentimes the reason why yoga teachers go up to students that they see there's something wrong. There's something incorrect in alignment or there's something unsafe or whatever. Now, if we would, instead of using the word adjusting, use the word assisting, 
And then within assisting, you could adjust someone if they're unsafe or, or incorrect, but you could also literally assist, assist. someone yeah. deeper into a pose yeah, or deeper into a sense of mindfulness or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. So in that sense, your role of an adjuster is, is oftentimes, I feel more of like a referee. You're doing it right or not. Whereas the role of an assister is, is way more a role in which you're in service to your students. Yeah. So when you embrace the idea of assisting your student instead of adjusting your students, when I started doing that, what I noticed was all of a sudden, I was able to help my students more in their practice. Hmm. Yeah. And, and not just the people that showed up for the first time, also the people that were already doing like yoga asana for years and years and years that had like super deep back bends that when I looked at them, my back would almost break, you know, mm. that deep of back bends. And, and then with the mindset of assisting, I was like, whoa. I can help this person a lot. I could help this person flip their grip in dance pose. I could help this person go to full king pigeon or whatever it is. Yeah. Because I have an almost non-existing backbend. So I usually stayed away from it in a sense where I would just go, oh, and if you have king pigeon, then feel free to go to king pigeon. <laughs> yeah. And that was literally all that I would say about it. Right. And then over time, like even when I just started yoga, my forward fold, resembled more of a backward roll than an actual forward roll. I was so tight that I was sitting in, in staff pose with my feet stretched out in front of me. I had the feeling that I was about to roll back. That's how tight my hamstrings wow. were when I first started. Yeah. So I had no, like, it was very intimidating to me to see all the, the flexible people. Right. So when I just started teaching, I would always go to the people that I knew were incorrect, that I could, like, fix somehow. Uh. And then as soon as I changed my mindset from adjusting to assisting, all of a sudden the whole world opened up of possibilities where I could not just assist the people that I thought were unsafe. At the same time, I could assist the people that were completely safe, but were just looking for a bit more depth. Let's let's think about all this. Let's let that sink in for a moment. That's a lot to think about, and it's all when like as you were saying it, my mind is racing, and I agree with certain things that you say, or most of the things that you say, and I am trying to apply it in my own experiences when teaching mm -hmm. or as a teacher. Where like yeah, I do go over to that, that that beginner and adjust that person for like four or five times, and I know that like I'm gonna make this person feel like shit if I keep doing that. So after a while, I let that person just be. Yeah. You can't learn everything in one class. If you come back the next class, great, we'll learn something from there. But I'll adjust you to a point where it's safe and then I'll leave you be. Mm -hmm. But then I like the idea of like you just go in there and like, hey, good job. And yeah. that, that's all the assistance that they need at that as well. Exactly. Because wow. in, the, in the end, no single person wants to do something incorrectly. Everybody always wants to do something correctly or give the right answer like nobody likes to be wrong so when you're for the first time in a yoga class and 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 you feel that everything you're doing is incorrect then you're just like why am i here mm. i don't like this the teacher is kind of giving me the impression that everything i do is wrong like oh see i was right yoga isn't for me Whoa. and then they wouldn't come back anymore 
Yeah. And then I feel this this applies especially to men. Because yoga is very much a female heavy practice. Yeah, there's many, many women. Mm. Now I remember when I started yoga, I almost gave up on yoga altogether. Yeah, if I would have done that at the time, I wouldn't have been here in Singapore teaching at Priyan Studio. Yeah, I mean, same. You know? My path as well. I mean, like if you if we never had the 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 if we never stuck with yoga, we mm-hmm. wouldn't be where we are today. Yeah, exactly. Now the reason that I almost gave up on the practice altogether was I was living in Ubud, and I was practicing at the yoga barn. So I would go to classes with literally a hundred people in the room. And very, very crowded. And then all these Sanskrit names were thrown at you. Uh, and I just had to like always look around and try to copy the people that were around me because I had no clue what I was supposed to do. And then they were in poses like dancer pose or, you know, birds of paradise. or Like all these super beautiful poses that when I looked at it, I'm like, how am I ever going to get myself in that position? Even even if I would succeed, I would most likely not be able to get myself out of the position again. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll tear something or break something or or twist something in the wrong direction. Right. So I felt really intimidated as a man going to a a hundred person yoga class where there were like three or four guys and then ninety five women that were able to touch their toes right. and and hold onto their foot behind their head and like as like. Okay, this is not a practice for me. This is apparently a practice for flexible women. So what am I doing here? I need to get out of here as soon as I can. And then it wasn't until one of my friends, Zach, was like, hey, there's this this male yoga teacher. Because the the teachers were also female that I went to. And then there was this male yoga teacher. His name is Les Leventhal. And um, Les has a very unique story that I really loved. And... And I was intrigued by the story about Les. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll check this guy's class out. So I went together with Zach. And somehow Les knew that I was into handstands. And, and Les somehow mid-class was like, oh, and if you have a handstand practice, feel free to kick up into a handstand. And I was like, oh, handstands are, like, can be part of this practice? And all of a sudden, I was able to do something that not many people in the room were was able to do so i felt in that moment a sense of accomplishment within my own personal practice and that's what made me stay because up until that point like the five to ten yoga classes that i had been to there was zero sense of accomplishment the only sense of accomplishment was driving my bike there and actually showing up and pulling myself to a 90 minute class that felt like a drag and every single second i just wanted to leave Mm. but i kept on going because i was like there must be something for me here so many people talk about yoga i live in ubud i might as well commit to at least 10 classes Mm. and then when i came across Les's class for months and months at end i didn't take a single class but his every single class he was teaching i was there yeah and then i was starting to love it and then I was starting to assist acro yoga, and I was like, I started getting really involved in, like the yoga barn, mm. um, the yoga community, and the acro yoga community in Ubud, and yeah, started making a lot of friends. That in in our free time, while we were sharing a meal or whatever it was, we would talk about 
their yoga practice and how they got into it and what it means to them to practice yoga and 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 that kind of hooked me in and I was like wow there 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 really is more to this practice than trying to touch your foot to the back of your head which this lifetime I'll most likely not be able to do mm. you can't be good at everything you know it's like I found what I love doing most which is handstands mm. and 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 now that's what I desire to share with as many people as I can can reach so like I even came across a yoga teacher once who specialized in teaching Shavasana. Yeah. She has a workshop specifically on corpse pose. The philosophy Whoa. on corpse pose, okay. corpse pose itself, how to prop up. I actually went to the workshop. Uh-huh. I fell asleep three times <laughs> in a four hour session. Okay. It's just like that that literally was the moment where it was like light bulb. Uh-huh. It's like this practice you can literally make of it whatever you want. You right. can sprinkle the essence of yoga over anything. Yeah, you can even do CrossFit in a yogic way if you really desire to. Yeah, and this then re- related back to my Shaolin days, where we talked a lot about Zen Buddhism, and Zen Buddhism can be found in doing the dishes or sweeping the floor. You know, and in this case, I believe that yoga can be found. Right. In doing the dishes or sweeping the floor. Yeah, or any, being present in exactly, whatever Exactly, or yeah. any other activity that you do. So then that takes me to the next step, which is oftentimes people saying, oh yeah, handstands are not yoga. I'm like, what you just said is not yoga. Because you're judging it. Right. You know, you're judging handstands as not being part of yoga. And, and that got me thinking. And I was like, there's most likely more people in the world that are genuine yogis without labeling themselves yogis and have no clue what the practice of yoga entails uh, than people that practice yoga right. in order to get some sort of next spiritual high and, and, and as soon as they leave the class, they, they return back to their like, you know, natural selves. Yeah, yeah. And like, I'm not saying that there's a majority of people that are not genuine practitioners, but I feel that there's most likely more people that do not practice it and are living more true to themselves and, and, and like don't complain, mindful and passionate about what they do, like make deliberate choices. Like in that sense, like, you don't have to practice yoga. You don't have to show up at a yoga class, roll out a piece of rubber and stand on the piece of rubber for an hour. After which you roll up your piece of rubber after you've wiped it down and leave the class. It's kind of a stupid thing if you think about it. Just like handstands. Like, why do you want to learn handstands? Well, there's no other reason, but it's just fun, you know? It's like handstands are the most, they're the dumbest thing that you can decide to learn. Uh They're not useful for anything in particular, you know. It's like, oh, be careful. We're going to be hunted by by that wild animal. Oh, let's run away on our hands. Like, said no one ever. Mm. So when it comes to handstands, there's, there's no 
there's no, there's no basic human need other than that, to be that, that needs to be fulfilled yeah. that 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 you need a handstand for a handstand is simply a form of self-expression mm-hmm. just like yoga is a form of self-expression just like painting is a form of self-expression or creating music or poetry or you know whatever it is like becoming a renowned scientist is a form of self-expression whatever it is that floats your boat just go and chase it like there's no tomorrow like the world will end tomorrow just chase what you're most passionate about and for me that's handstand and then when someone says handstands are not yoga i'm like so there it is to me who are you to judge whether or not handstands is yoga to me or not like in that sense you could say nothing is yoga when it comes to the physical asana practice because everything very much resembles contortionism right so yeah it's 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 just very fascinating to me how how one of the most challenging physical practices which is a handstand is then perceived as not being part of the whole yoga um and i'm not saying by everyone but there's there's definitely on a daily basis some people that i come across that would go ah, but handstands are not yoga and it's usually the people that cannot do handstands that tell mm-hmm. me this so like in that sense like everybody to themselves yeah which i think will be a great point of departure yeah and then whatever yoga is to to an individual just let it be you know yeah thank you mark you're a lovely man thanks for doing this with me i've learned mm-hmm. a lot i'm sure the people that listen to this will have learned a lot as well cool thank you thank, thank you. you for having me i was very uh very glad that we could make this happen <laughs> i flew into singapore yesterday and flying out tomorrow yeah so i'm very happy that we, we were able to, to catch meet you up. yeah yeah how can people reach you So yeah they can they can visit me on my website uh, which is markdas.com um mark spelled with a k they can also go to my instagram which is @markdas and the online program that i'm launching is called the handstand academy so as soon as the course is is up and running it will be www.thehandstandacademy.com And I will be back in Singapore teaching at Preon Studio most likely in October. Uh, we're currently discussing uh, the exact, exact dates, date, yeah. uh, but it's looking like it's going to be the second weekend of October. So okay. for those that are interested in coming to spend a weekend with me uh, focusing on their handstand practice and seeing how I can assist them uh, assist. getting get, getting better um, at their practice, maybe overcoming fears and and unlocking some elements that will simplify the handstand practice um and make it more bite sizable um then then yeah come and come and check out uh, Priyan's website and then from there you can sign up so hopefully I'll see uh I'll see a lot of you there yeah in in October I'll put all the links in the show notes below I guess people okay, can go cool. check it out yes sweet thank you very much thank you okay. man high five <laughs> this is fun We did an hour, yeah, about an hour, three minutes. Okay, cool. Hmm, how interesting or not? Got learn anything or not? I feel like I've learned a lot. 
let me know your thoughts. I'm interested to hear what you have to say. I'm interested to hear what advanced practitioners who have a handstand practice uh, have to say about. Oh, I see the motorbike. Room, room. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see to hear what advanced practitioners have to say about this uh, from their perspectives, and whether they agree or they disagree, or or if they share similar thoughts or not. I don't know. Let me know. Uh, can't wait to see him again in October if he comes back. Dates to be confirmed. Can't wait for his handstand academy to be out as well, sometime in June. Hmm. Well, another motorcycle. Room, room. Uh, fun times, yes. If you enjoy this podcast, like, subscribe, rate, comment. Uh, you know the same old thing that I say at the beginning and at the end of each potty. Mm, I think that's it. Mm, okay, I'm hungry. I'm gonna go eat. I'll see you guys next week. Okay, thank you. Bye.